Hi, I'm Chris, and welcome to this week's episode of To Be Published, a podcast that provides organizational leaders with the tools to integrate and synchronize sustainment and to generate combat power. The views and opinions expressed here are our own and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Department of Defense, the Combined Arms Center, or Army University. Today, we'll be talking about how Army sustainment works above the division level. With the reemergence of the Corps as a tactical formation this past year, the Expeditionary Sustainment Command, or ESCs, have been realigned to provide direct support to Corps and subordinate units. ESCs are now assigned to Corps. This represents a major shift in the battlefield geometry and a potential shift to the single log C2 doctrine that has surrounded modularity that we've all grown up with in pulling. Let's start by defining the Expeditionary Sustainment Command. ESC. FM 4.0 states that an ESC is assigned to the Corps. The ESC is the Corps' command for the integration and synchronization of sustainment in an operational area. The Corps' ESC and its subordinate task-organized functional and multifunctional sustainment units provide general support for all units in a core area of operations. And additionally, the ESC commander may perform the duties of the Deputy Commanding General support if directed by the Corps Commander. The ESC also assists the Corps sustainment cell with planning and coordinating sustainment operations. Not all ESCs are assigned to Corps, however. ESCs can, as required, directly support the Theater Sustainment Command or a field army. Normally located in the Corps support area or the Joint Support Area, the ESC is often responsible for one or more of the following missions, theater opening, theater distribution, or theater sustainment. As we heard in the definition, the core ESC is composed of modular, functional, and multifunctional sustainment brigade organizations. These brigades enable the core or theater RSONI forces and extend operational reach and achieve prolonged endurance. With us today to talk more about the echelons above division sustainment is the commander of the 593rd Expeditionary Sustainment Command, Colonel Martin Kidd. Colonel Kidd previously served here at the Command and General Staff College as the Department of Sustainment and Force Management's 41st Director and an instructor. She was the CENTCOM J4 Chief of Plans and has led or commanded at every level from the supply room to the depot. She's been an inspirational leader in the Logistics Corps and our Army for over 32 years. Colonel Kidd, welcome to the show. Ma'am, thanks for joining us. I'd like to start off today discussing the role of the ESC in operational terms. Um, we just defined the ESC from doctrine, but ATP 4TAC 9-4 has not been updated since 2013. I wonder if you could first provide us uh, any opening remarks you have, but then uh, help us define what the role of the Expeditionary Sustainment Command is in large-scale combat operations, and whom do you support? Uh, thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's nice to have the opportunity to speak with uh, Army sustainers and, uh, of course, to connect back to the intellectual center of the Army there at the Combined Arms Command and there with you guys in the, the Department of Sustainment Force Management. I appreciate the invitation to do so. Um, 
Boy, it's been it's been uh, a, a rapid uh, six months since I took command of the 593 ESC, almost seven months now, I guess. Um, you know, I would say that the role of the ESC uh, and tracking all on ATP 494 um, and its recent uh, revision, it is kind of what you would expect it to, to be, right? I mean, when you when you look at uh, chapter two of that um, that publication, what you what you discover is the TSC's sort of theater wide role, and then underneath that, the ESCs are typically given a uh, a JOA uh, to manage. Um, so I think the the logic trail of all of that, in fact, is what you see today. So when I interact with the eighth TSC commander, General Wilson, who's a great commander out there, and has really driven some theater wide analysis and has a really good theater estimate for the operational uh, and strategic level. You know, what he and I talk about then is the ability to translate that into discrete planning and what the ESC will do both in, you know, the, the major O plans and those that are associated through, uh, throughout the, the Pacific theater. So the 593rd is engaged um, as, a, as a regionally aligned command to the Pacific. Um, underneath First Corps and, of course, USERPAC. And uh, we spend a lot of time focused on the uh, operations activities investments going on in the Pacific and uh, the, the joint exercise program, uh, Pacific Pathways. And there are a uh, multitude of exercises that occur throughout the year cyclically uh, in this theater. In fact, I would say it's it's one of the most active exercise theaters, uh, in, you know, in, globally, really, and certainly um, amongst the, the most active that I've ever been part of. So it's a very, very busy time for us. As you know, you probably have seen some of General Flynn's comments about the most consequential theater at the most consequential time. I would tell you that he's exactly right. Um, the things that are going on in the Pacific uh, and right now, even just reading any of the unclassified news, uh, open source news, you know that our active engagement as a joint force, but in particular as an army, is extremely important. Um, and so you know, that, is, that is sort of part and parcel at the macro view of what the 593rd does and thinks about on a daily basis. And then we, of course, work at the operational and tactical level. And, uh, and we work real hard to, to get right to it. And what does that mean? That means focus, being focused on the chief of staff of the Army's priorities as well, you know, people readiness and modernization. And, and readiness is a daily conversation and permeates everything that we do. And so, um, it just remains a very busy time out here at the Tactical Edge. Awesome. Uh, and so in relation to that, and, and not necessarily 593rd specific, but kind of ESC broad, uh, you had said that you work both for USERPAC, the ASCC, and First Corps. And then underneath you, you have, in wartime, you would have multifunctional sustainment brigades that are assisting support to divisions? Yeah, so um, 
you know, of course, the, the, the army doesn't have a lot of multifunctional sustainment brigades above the division, right? Um, what we have are the, um, the sustainment brigades that are part of the divisions and those transitioning into being divisional sustainment brigades, the actual DSB. Um, so what right now we have is a lot of CSSBs um, that, are, that are without an 06 headquarters. I've got two of them here on a day-to-day -day basis. I have a movement control battalion, a functional battalion, and I have a CSSB. And um, they're both both pretty large organizations. The CSSB is over a thousand folks in it. Up in Alaska, also a regionally aligned uh, battalion headquarters there. The 17th CSSB has about 1,500 in it. Um, and and yet, you know, the 25th, for instance, in the in Hawaii has the sustainment brigade uh, headquarters from an active component uh, perspective that that's aligned. And so, uh, but yes. That's, that's the way it would work um, upon O-Plan activation is the, uh, there would be additional sustainment brigades brought into the theater and they would then be aligned to the ESC um, for combat operations. And that's to help you with some of those roles, um, like setting the theater, theater distribution, and then sustainment operations throughout the JOA. Uh, well, thanks for, for setting us kind of straight on that. So. You talked about the Indo-Pacific and readiness. As we, we pivot that, we talk about kind of jointness without being joint. As the ESC and, and really one of the largest sustainment organizations aligned towards the Indo-Pacific, at least in, in my mind, uh, I'd imagine you provide a lot of support to others, uh, other services in particular. Um, mm -hmm. Are you organized to provide support to joint forces? Yeah, so it's I think the Army's role are, are largely as they always have been. We have ASOS responsibility, Army support to other services. Um, the difference in the Pacific that makes us as a theater much more unique than, say, uh, CENTCOM or UCOM is our AOR is nearly entirely non-contiguous. So, you, you know, for instance, you land in... Um, you know, Germany, and you can traverse the majority in one way or another, the majority of UCOM without having to cross um, a body of water. Um, and so that makes, uh, in some ways, the Army's role um, easier. I, that, you know, that isn't to say it's easy, but, um, you know, we are once upon land, right, we, we can continue to advance at the pace of, of combat operations. Um, in the Pacific, the jointness is, is much, much more interdependent. You know, at some point, all forces, to include the Navy uh, and the Air Force, are dependent on a land-based resupply capability. Where that land-based resupply capability is the subject of uh, operational issue, right? But at some point that dependency exists. Um, however, you know, because the AOR itself is not contiguous, just to move from, you know, in many cases, one portion of the AOR, a JOA, uh, for instance, or an AO to another uh, requires either air or sea or Army watercraft capability. And that does, of course, complicate um, 
the requirement for things like uh, air superiority and sea superiority, and then therein just um, automatically draws the requirement for joint operations. The Army plays a significant role, though. I mean, people live on the land. I mean, you can read some of USERPAC's um, uh, publications and uh, the ca their campaign plan. Um, and at the end of the day, um, you know, winning our nation's wars will still largely depend on a ground force. And so the Army's role is critical. And, and, uh, and the Secretary of the Army recently made uh, comments to reinforce to that effect. People live on land uh, and the mm -hmm. army has a role and, and that's traditionally in a theater dominated uh, by Navy, at least uh, his, not historically, but kind of mentally dominated by Naval forces. Um, people forget some of the history that the army has played a tremendous role in the Pacific, uh, dating back even from before World War II, back to uh, some of the Boxer Rebellion days and, and things in China. Um, right. So with skipping a little bit to command and control of log forces, because we've talked about assigned and aligned, uh, how DSBs are now being assigned to divisions and ESCs are aligned uh, to cores. Um, so what does that mean for, for modularity and for single log C2? We had that concept when we went away from, you know, the CASCOMs, the core support commands and the division support commands. Uh, to, to almost total modularity across the sustainment enterprise. Are we swinging back from that? Uh, swinging, swinging back from, uh, from single log C2, you mean? Or yes. Back? So my perspective, and I'll, and I'll just give you my personal view on, on this. I, I, I do not uh, think that now or then, modularity or today, we would have had any trouble with um, single, you know, sort of single log C2. And here's why. Um, the, the sustainers of the world, the logisticians of the world are very used to the idea that we work for multiple people at once. Um, at the end of the day, there can be friction that, that we have to work our way through, but we have always done that task forces have always been part of the command and control, the, the Annex A, uh, the daily Frago process as uh, capabilities are moved around uh, the, the battlefield. And so I, I see, I see uh, here that from a single log C2 perspective, if an O plan were activated, uh, that we would in place many of the same mechanisms that we have long in place and that exist in doctrine. Even simple things like graphic control measures indicate um, you know, who, who is responsible for what AOR. Uh, and then from a sustainment perspective, obviously we have to cross some of those graphic control boundaries and we know then that that's a coordination point. Um, I, I would have no confusion in my mind, you know, who I work for upon O-plan activation, right? 
Um, the first core commander is going to expect me to be responsive. The user pack commander is going to expect me to be responsive. And so is the TSC commander going to expect me to be responsive. But those orders are going to dictate to me what that, that Annex A looks like. And so I'm not, I'm not overly worried about it. You know, I, I know that at the end of the day, my job is going to be to um, visualize, describe, and direct. It's going to be to anticipate the requirements of our maneuver forces and our joint forces based on what's actually happening uh, from an operational perspective. So some of what I talked to my staff about today is the importance of maintaining situational awareness and how hard that can be. Um, you know, staff staffs are unfortunately often lassoed to their desks, right? Both in peace and in war. And they don't have the same necessarily necessarily the same opportunity to get out on the battlefield and have a sense of what's actually happening out there. So the struggle for any staff is to maintain that situational awareness so that they can ingest information, analyze it, and provide sound recommendations to the commander. And the commander's job is to see, uh, with the assistance of the staff, beyond the horizon and stay in touch with what is actually happening from a maneuver perspective so that we, the sustainers, are not sitting in an echo chamber talking to ourselves about um, things that only matter to us, right? It, we can't fight the plan. We have to fight the operation, which means we have to stay in touch with what's happening from the maneuver por force perspective. And that can be very difficult. You know, we, wanna, we want to... Um, focus on what is and not what will what will be. Uh, and so our challenge as sustainers is uh, like Wayne Gretzky, right? Uh, skate that what made him great, skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it is. And that's such a, a great comment there when we talk about, you know, it doesn't matter about whether it's single log C2 or modularity or, or any of those comments or uh, concepts, because really what's it about is integrating and synchronizing across the warfighting functions. Uh, That's right. And, and allowing commanders to command for us as sustainers, providing that sustainment support that's necessary. Right, right. I mean, you know, we, we have long been very used to this idea, right? That's just a, that's a, a sustainment uh, reality in perpetuity. Um, we work for many people to accomplish lots of um, difficult missions where if we wait for perfect clarity, we will always be late. And that's just not something we can afford to do. We we have to be ahead, and um, and and provide good sound recommendations to those maneuver leaders at at the uh, at the next level up. You know, for me to the core. And and like you mentioned, we we've always done it, um, and we do it really through kind of boards, bureaus, centers, cells, working groups, whatever's appropriate. Whether it's a, a joint distribution board. Um, transportation and movement control boards, any of those. Uh, right. We're used exactly. to that and that's how we, okay, excellent. Um, so switching that gear again and rotating and, and you know, you've been an impactful leader, uh, inspirational throughout your entire career, uh, certainly to me. Um, I was wondering if, if you could share some leadership lessons that you have uh, for our listeners, both sustainers and organizational leaders uh, who may be responsible for leader, leading sustainers? Oh, sure. Um, first, what I would say is leadership is the most decisive element of combat power. 
Um, it's a saying that we used to use a lot when I was over at the School of Advanced Military Studies as a student. Um, and so never underestimate your role as a leader, um, as a sustainer. Um, don't, don't be shy about uh, providing your input to maneuver leaders. <laughs> Happy holidays from the dogs. Don't be shy about providing your input uh, to maneuver leaders when they are discussing operations um, and developing those concepts of the operation such that you can ensure it remains feasible. Um, and to do so, you have to sharpen your skills and understanding about maneuver uh, itself, right? You, you um, will be ineffective as a sustainer if you want to dazzle an infantry, armor, artillery, or aviation officer with spreadsheets of information. That isn't what they want to hear. They, they want to know if uh, their, their plan is supportable, right? Passes the fast CD test um, and that, that you um, can help them mitigate risks associated. And they also want you to be very straightforward with them, right? Now they're going to, they're going to push you. Um, they're going to push you to prove it as you would expect them to do because their challenge is to, to um, you know, gain and maintain contact uh, with enemy forces and then win our nation's wars. And so just because a sustainer, for instance, says, well, I don't think that's feasible, that's, that doesn't, that's not going to deter them. <laughs> yeah, so what do you do to prove it? You have to speak in terms that are meaningful to them. Uh, things like risk to forces, uh, risk to mission, those are, those are words and phrases that matter to them. Not, you know, you're going to go amber and black. I mean, they, those will matter, but then you have to show them the math. And so this actually connects to the vision statement that I've provided for the 593rd um, here. And it's uh, three short phrases, right? We solve core problems. We do the math and we learn and adapt. And if we're doing all of those things, uh, then inevitably we're gonna be able to assure our maneuver forces that we're gonna be there to execute on time, you know, be TOT to support their maneuver. I love that so much, solving those core problems, doing the math, of course, you know, I'm a, I'm a data nerd. Uh, and so the math part is keen, but not just the math, like you've said, What's the so what to that math? Uh, right. What are the consequences of it? And then, of course, learn and adapt, right? We have to, some would say, adapt or die. Um, and so. Yeah, so. And, and, and if I could, I'll, I'll just really foot stomp on the doing the math part as sustainers. Now, we don't, again, we, we should not roll out spreadsheets in any briefing to a maneuver officer. Um, <laughs> however, the importance of doing very detailed and discrete mathematical calculations associated with requirements, capabilities, and shortfalls. And I know the, the team there uses Dr. Ackham's, um, but requirements, capabilities, and shortfalls. And then of course, all of that mitigating behind understanding what the shortfalls really mean. Um, th those skills for sustainers in every commodity and service are essential. And 
at the right level of detail because if you cross the line of departure, we all know the old catchphrase, right? No plan survives first contact. The minute that you cross the line of departure and that plan no, has no longer survived, if you have hand waved your math or you have done it at too high of an aggregated level, you will not have a place from which to deviate and to adjust. And you'll do it all over again. You'll be forced to do the whole thing over. And inevitably, your response is going to be too late. And that will be measured in the lives, lives lost. Um, so, uh, you know, incredibly detailed planning up front gives you a place from which to deviate. If you know down to the company level, um, and you can do uh, the multiplication and division necessary when plans change or forces are divided or attached or reattached, again, that whole task force conversation comes into play, then you will quickly be able to understand how requirements have changed, assess the capabilities inside your own formation, what your sustainment annex A looks like, for instance, versus the maneuver annex A. Uh, which is, of course, where all those requirements come from when you add that to battlefield geometry. Um, and, and then you can adapt and mitigate shortfalls. But if you've, if you've short-sheeted that math, uh, you and your formation will forever be in catch-up mode. And, um, and unfortunately, the reality of what we do as sustainers means that that will lead to lives lost and those maneuver forces who remain unsupported or uncovered or who didn't get the additional class three to continue um, to maintain contact or who didn't get the additional class five in order to continue to maintain the rate of fire necessary. So detailed math, um, detailed planning, being able to understand the maneuver plan and visualize how the maneuver leader has described it happening um, so that you, you and your forces upon that, um, the initiation of combat operations have the ability to understand where we are in time and literally in time and space. Um, and when communications is degraded, can continue mission, not waiting on a log stat, all of that is built on the math of your, your planning and your ability to understand maneuver from the get-go. And if you don't do both of those, your forces are gonna suffer, your forces and the forces that you're, you're trying to support. Incredibly powerful. Yeah, so uh, we're gonna transition uh, to, to our three questions that we ask every guest. Um, but before we do, any closing thoughts? Closing thoughts would be, um, you know, it is a very busy time to be in the Army, and it requires um, uh, leaders to be engaged uh, all the time. Now, that doesn't mean that leaders don't take time for themselves and have an opportunity to rest and relax and refit themselves as well. That's a must. Um, but, but it's an important time for our Army uh, for our nation, uh, for our Department of Defense. And, um, and so I would just ask everybody to think about the profession that you are part of, 
understand the importance of being a leader in the army uh, and work very hard on both mentoring uh, and influencing the, the leaders, both uh, your subordinate leaders as well as those above you. Um, make fewer assumptions about what you think your, your junior leaders understand. Um, not, not so as to be condescending or to play down to a junior leader, but it's human nature for everybody to, um, I believe it's human nature for, for folks to not want to say when they don't know something. Uh, you know, Because nobody wants to look like they don't know in front of their boss. No, nobody wants to do that. But you have to be willing to say yourself, I don't know, but let's solve it together. Let's figure it out both with your subordinate leaders as well as those that, you, um, that you're working for. Uh, and then stay with it. We, we, need, we need every um, hardworking soldier in the formation. Um, and so st stick with the team uh, and, and know how much that uh, myself and other leaders that you are serving with across the Army appreciate. You, know, you being in our formation and you being willing to raise your hand and to serve something bigger than yourself. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us to talk about your work. Uh, before we go, I'd like to ask those three questions to help our audience get to know you a little bit better. Um, so starting off, uh, what book are you reading or, or have you read recently that you'd recommend? The last one uh, I read was, you know, what got you here won't get you there. I'm forgetting the name of it now. It's been a it's been a minute um, I think since it. I read it. Um, but to me, that that book rang true from the perspective of um, you have to continue to learn and um, things that worked. And I'll I'll translate it to kind of a, a junior officer or junior leader's view all the way up to. Uh, when you become a little more senior brigade command and beyond, right? The, the things that you do as a direct leader um, are not the same, same things that you have to do as an organizational or indirect leader. And so, you know, to me, what got you here won't get you there uh, was reinforcing that entire concept as it is in Army doctrine. You, you have to understand the diff difference between stack and swivel leadership and, and influencing people beyond your chain of command, um, and then continuing to learn as things evolve and change around you, because the army is not static, and it will continue to change, and it will slip away from you <laughs> if you don't keep up with it. <laughs> yeah, you are not the first person to recommend that book, so for our listeners out there, if you haven't read it recently, uh, I'd highly encourage you to go and read it for the first time, or read it again, especially if you're in a transition uh, between different leadership levels. Next question, what's your favorite movie? Uh, I would say Arthur. It's, a, it's an oldie, but a goodie. I just, I loved the witty comedy, um, the repartee between the two lead actors, uh, Dudley Moore and Liza Minnelli. I, I love the, the butler who was just the, had this cold, cold, uh, dry sense of humor that it was actually pretty hilarious. It was just, it was classic feel-good comedy. Yeah, I, I love the witty, I love the witty humor. 
Yeah, I have not uh, seen that one. So I'll have to, to check that out while we're on the break here. And the third and final question, this one's a little bit more impactful. Um, if you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? Hmm. I would say um, appreciate, um, uh, appreciate the journey that you're on uh, along the way more than just preparing yourself for the next waypoint or, or interim destination, if you will. Um, it, it certainly has been a journey. And as I've gotten older, I've done better at that. But I, for instance, it, it, would, be, it would be evident in other things I would have liked to have done. I would have traveled a little bit more I would have taken more photos uh, of people that I served with, probably would have done, you know, hosted more social activities and participated in more social activities when I was younger with my, with my colleagues, you know. Um, but uh, I would just say appreciate the journey um, because as you look back, those things that seem simple or routine to you Will become more and more um, special and endearing uh, as you get older. Yeah, I think uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson uh, kind of quoted that and he said, you know, life is the journey, not the destination. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably, it certainly isn't the, you know, original words of wisdom, but that's, that's, that's what I would tell myself. Yeah, no, absolutely inspiring. Well, Again, ma'am, thank you very much for joining us. And thanks again for listening. And join us My next pleasure. week on To Be Published. Thanks, Chris.